Good morning. Happy New Year. I'm very optimistic and excited about the year 2020. I don't know about you guys. Very excited. I see God working in amazing, unique ways here at, that, at this church. And he always has, but I see he's got some great things in store for us. I truly believe that. And I believe that it is an amazing time to be a part of Paradise Valley Christian Church. You should be excited to be serving here. I really believe that. I'm also thankful to have the opportunity to preach this morning as we're starting a new sermon series on the topic of giving. And I've heard Larry say this several times. You read it on our posters and at the hub. In order to fulfill this vision of imagine more, guess what? It takes more. It takes more. And I believe that to be true, especially when it comes to giving. It's going to take more. Today, the topic that I have is things that get in the way of your giving. Things that get in the way of your giving. And I'll be honest, this morning, first hour, was the first time I'd ever preached on the topic of, of giving or tithes or offering. And, and uh, i got to tell you, it's not an easy subject. It's not an easy subject to prepare for or pray on. At first, when I was talking to Charles on the phone about it, and we were deciding what the topic would be, <coughs> I was excited, and, I was, and I'm still excited, Charles. I'm not saying, don't, don't ever ask me again. But I was just saying, at first, I was like, oh, yeah, Dave Ramsey, you know, we're going to talk about saving and budgets. I'm sort of weird like that. I like that kind of stuff. But then I'm like, holy smokes, what have I gotten myself into? This is really not going to be an easy sermon topic. Giving is very personal. It's a sensitive topic for many people. Money is a divisive topic, unfortunately. Satan has done a good job of making it that way. When I began to do research online on this topic of things that get in the way of our giving, I found one article that did a survey from various preachers around the United States, and the topic of giving, tithes, offerings, whatever you want to call it, was ranked in the top five of the most controversial, difficult sermon topics. Top five. Guess what was in front of it? Sexuality was number one. Abortion was number two. The idea that we sin, because apparently a lot of people think they don't, is number three. And number four was hell, because a lot of people question whether it exists or not. And the fifth most controversial topic, money and giving. Isn't that sad? It's very sad. Jesus had no problem talking about money. He, he, he preached 11, 11 parables on money and giving. And money and giving come up over 800 times in Scripture. God knew that money was going to be a divisive issue. So I pray this morning that as we speak on various things that get in the way of our giving, that you would have an open mind, an open heart, and allow God 
to speak to you because I know it's a tough subject. Let's pray. Dear Father God, we thank you so much for giving us another year, another day. Uh, we thank you for this church. We thank you what you've, for the work that you've done at this church and through this church and how you've blessed this church over many decades and how you have taught this church the value of giving. We thank you, God, for showing us how to give by giving us your son and looking to him as our example. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This picture up here, the guy dressed in black, he's got a trophy, it's not the Heisman. It sort of looks like it. it's actually a Jesus washing someone's feet. This man is Dr. Jim Gertwood. Um, I was looking for Stephen Millette, but he's not here today. Uh, he actually went to school with him. Uh, Dr. Jim is uh, from Kentucky, of all places, um, and he's a professor of biblical studies and all kinds of things at Kentucky Christian University. He's really close friends with Jack Cottrell, Bob Russell, a lot of popular guys back there in the East, and I joked first hour, that trophy's probably him getting an award for memorizing the Bible backwards or something, because that's how smart this guy is. He's fluent in eight different languages. He's written books. He's a preacher. He's a teacher. He's a great man. And when I was 18 and I just got baptized, I had just accepted God and Jesus as my Savior. And I will tell you, uh, my uncle made it possible for me to meet with him every Saturday morning. And um, I never went to Bible college, but that was like going to Bible college, <laughs> except on Saturdays for about an hour. And he was really powerful in my life. I learned a lot from him. But on one occasion, before our next meeting, <coughs> excuse me, Dr. Jim said, now, next Saturday, Justin, I need you to bring a calculator and your pay stub. He was very direct about it. I was like, whoa, what are we doing here? <laughs> and so uh, it seemed silly at the time, and, but what Dr. Jim was going to show me was the importance of giving and how now that I'm a Christian, he made it very clear that even though I'd only been a Christian for a few weeks, because of that decision that I'd made for Christ, I should be giving all the time. And so I bring that calculator, and you know what I did for about an hour? I learned how to multiply by 10%. <laughs> and in Kentucky, that's really hard for a lot of people to do. The calculator part really puzzled me. He literally took my hand and showed me because he cared about me, and he loved me, and he wanted to make sure that my life was going to be full he also told me that throughout my Christian walk, there's going to be times, maybe seasons in my faith, when Satan was going to become a barrier to my giving, and that I was going to have lots of excuses for why we should not tithe this week. I'm 45 years old now, and those Saturday mornings were a long time ago, but I will tell you this. As always, Dr. Jim was right. There were seasons in my life, excuses all around us for why you don't need to give to the church. You know, times get tough. The economy's bad. 
You know, I didn't get that raise that I was hoping for. You know, maybe if we save first, we can give later. That's what we'll do. Other people, they have more money than us. I don't make that much, so we'll let them do the heavy lifting. Or, you know what, once we get that credit card paid off, that's when we'll start giving. I'm here to tell you none of those reasons are in Scripture for why you shouldn't give. Sometimes I wish they were, but they're not. Bottom line, and I truly believe this, Satan, the adversary, loves it when you don't tithe. He loves it. He loves it. Uh, my buddy Paul Marvel once said, I think, maybe I'm paraphrasing Paul, where are you at? I think he's in the back counting money. Um, Satan despises a crazy giver. Satan despises joyful, cheerful, crazy givers. And I'm going to tell you why. Because when we tithe cheerfully, it's obvious that the word of God is written on your heart. And that you love him. When we tithe regularly, when we give, when we make an offering to the Lord, that gift is not only used to transform the receiver, but it's used to transform the giver. God starts working in your life in new ways. When we tithe, we've decided that as an individual or as a family unit, that nothing is going to come before God. Nothing. Nothing's going to come before this church for lost people, people in need, people hungry, people who don't have Bibles, nothing. Unfortunately, though, especially here in the United States, the wealthiest country that has ever existed, tithing is in steady decline. It's in steady decline. Church giving is dwindling to all-time lows. According to a study made by MarketWatch, which is an online business publication, it has no affiliation with any church at all. It was released in December of 2019, just a few weeks ago. It said contributions or giving to local Christian churches has dropped 13% in the past 16 years. Not in the past 16 years, there's been a steady decline of giving. None of this, no, just a steady decline. People are giving less. People are giving less. And each generation, this is the sad part, each generation that dies off, the next generation gives less. The number one reason that this non-Christian very secular magazine gave for the reason and decline of giving had nothing to do with money at all. It had to do, and again, these were written by, this is not a church publication. It said, because they have no faith in God, even the secular world knows why giving is down in the church. They have no faith in God, and the second reason, declining church attendance. People just aren't here anymore. I know these are tough issues, and I know I'm going to say some things that touch a nerve. Um, I'd like to say I would apologize for it, but I'm not, <laughs> because I am guilty of a lot of these things. So I, I just pray that you'll bear with me as we talk about 
these three major issues that get in the way of our giving. I'm going to talk about three barriers to our giving. The first major issue that Christians have and keeps them from giving is it's a faith issue. It's a faith issue. Just like the Market Watch study revealed, people have the money, but unfortunately, it's going in other places than God, than the church, than lost people. And honestly, when it comes down to it, sometimes as Christians, we simply have stopped believing what Jesus has to say in the Bible about giving. We want to talk about it in our feelings, in the way we want to do it. Let me be in control of it. Honestly, we, we stop trusting God at times in our Christian walk. We go through seasons. We lean on our own understandings, or we listen to our feelings, or we give in to our fears. Or worse, we conform to the way the world says you should handle your money. This is not what God desires for us as disciples. In order to better understand this, we have to understand what faith means. If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Let's look at verses 1 through 4, where God defines faith. He says, <coughs> Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Now this is very important. Underline this. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. That sums up my whole first point right there. Nobody can do it better than God. By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. It was his faith, his love. For God, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about gifts, and, th and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. The author of Hebrews makes it very clear in these four verses that our faith produces fruit. When we examine the story of Cain and Abel, we see some interesting things in Genesis chapter 4. If you look to Genesis chapter 4, it says, Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, and while Cain was a tiller of the soil. So in the course of time, Cain, Cain brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord, while Abel brought the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel, on Abel and his offering, but he had no regard for Cain and his offering. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. If you keep reading, God asked Cain, he says, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you refuse to do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires you, but you must master it. A few faith issues jump out to me 
when I read this text. The first is it's very obvious that Abel loved God. Oh man, he loved him. He loved God. And I believe Abel was a joyful giver. I bet he couldn't wait to make that offering. Cain, on the other hand, had faith issues. And I believe that Cain's offering was given begrudgingly. I learned that word last night. I had to ask Jamie if that was a real word. And it was. And it actually means that he was reluctant. So Jamie helped write my sermon. But what is even more interesting about this story is how God gave Cain an opportunity to repent. We serve a loving God. Even in Genesis, he was saying, repent. That's going to draw you in. That's going to give you redemption. And then later, you might not do stupid stuff, like kill your brother. He didn't say that. But he sort of said that. God tells Cain, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you refuse to do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. So yes, he did tell him that in so many Words And we know the rest of the story. Cain becomes even more disenfranchised with God, more separated from God, and it all started with his heart, which connected to his giving, which connected to love, which eventually caused him to kill his brother. The Greek word used for faith is pistis. P-I-S-T-I-S, which means to be persuaded and have a deep moral conviction that produces a reliance on Jesus, which also produces action or an outpouring or a changed life. That's what faith means. It doesn't mean I just believe in God. The demons believe and they fear God but the demons will not be in heaven. Cain walked and talked with God, but now he's cursed. I believe what God was trying to tell Cain was, you cannot call yourself my servant and not bear fruit. Ultimately, I believe Cain's biggest hurdle was he did not love God. He loved himself instead. And it's a sad story. Francis Chan, one of my favorite preachers, once said, Are you so attached to the vine that the fruit rolls out? In other words, are you so attached to Jesus this morning? So in love with Jesus. So in love with the people sitting next to you. So in love with people outside this building who are broken and hurting and suffering? Are you so in love that you just can't wait to give? You just can't wait. And not just a tenth, maybe 11%. Maybe 100%. I think that's what God saw in Abel. And that's why he used him in Hebrews to make this point. The second major issue that keeps Christians from tithing is we have financial issues, don't we? We have financial issues. I want to share some alarming statistics. Uh, Northwest Mutual 2018 financial study 
recorded that the average American has over $38,000 in personal debt. And that's not counting your mortgage. That's just credit cards, student loans, other loans. The average student leaving college will leave with a price tag of an average of $37,172. And that loan is generally to the federal government. The average person has $9,500 in credit card debt that they only make the minimum payment on. According to a recent Gallup survey of American families, only 32% of people and couples sit down and write a budget every month. They just allow their finances to take shape. And according to a Forbes magazine study this past year, 78% of working Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. It's no surprise as a country that we are financially broken, but unfortunately, God's church is not immune to it. And I know because I've been there. I've made some of those stupid decisions in my life. All of these financial struggles and poor money choices have led to major problems in God's house. There's stress, anxiety, marital issues, division, health issues. And of course, it cuts into our giving. God only wants what's best for you. That's why he explains it so clearly in his word. He also tells us, as Christians, we sometimes make mistakes that get us there. And the first mistake that God talks about in scripture is debt. God does not like debt. I'm going to take it even a step further as I read the apostles when they start their letters in the New Testament, they say we are in bondservants to Jesus. We're not bondservants to Chase Manhattan or U.S. Bank or Hilltop or Wells Fargo. We are bondservants to God. We go into debt. Proverbs 22.7, God tells us that the borrower will be a slave to the lender. Romans 13.7-8, through 8, Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenues to whom revenues are owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for the, love who loves an- for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. The Bible is clear. Sometimes we make choices that put strain on our lives. The second mistake that the Bible points to that believers can make is we start living above our means. We start biting off more than we can chew. We start taking on more and more and more, and we got to have more. And unfortunately, many people try to fill that, that emptiness, that void that's in their heart. They try to fill it with stuff. They try to go buy this, and it's going to make it all better. If I just get the newer iPhone, things will be better. Or if I get the... You know, if I get this, this, this new home or in this neighborhood or life will be better and then I'll start giving and it just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. And, and, and trust me, I'm not saying you can't have nice things. I'm not saying that. 
God's not saying that. But what he is saying is that sometimes we have too many nice things. <laughs> have you heard the old saying, keeping up with the Joneses? Well, it, it, it's real and it exists. And it's easy to fall into that trap. Sometimes we think we don't measure up. I've got to have this. I've got to be like that person or I've got to have that thing or whatever. And I'm going to tell you this morning that if you have Jesus Christ in your life, you measure up. You completely measure up. No matter how much debt you have, no matter how financially broken you are, no matter what is going on in your life at this time, God says you measure up because of Jesus I remember when I was growing up, and when we had a snow day in Kentucky, which was rare, all the kids wanted to go out and play in it, and we could never afford snow boots. We just did not have the money. We had one pair of shoes, and it was tennis shoes, because that could do everything, right? And so my grandma would take out two garbage bags, and she would put one garbage bag on this leg and one garbage bag on this leg, and she would tape them, and then she'd put socks over them, and then she'd put your shoes on. And she did that because she loved our toes. She didn't want them to go missing because of frostbite. Keeps the moisture out, right? And you know what? We didn't have much, but as a kid, I never thought of it. Never entered my mind. It wasn't until I got older. I got to have those snow boots. (laughs) These garbage bags are no fun. They make you sweat. Hebrews 13.5 tells us to keep your life free from the love of of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor, even if it means you're going to have to wear garbage bags for a while, I will still be there. And you know what? We got to go out and have fun in the snow. We still had fun. We still had joy. We still laughed. It was fun. I'm not telling you that the Bible says you can't have snow boots. Do not, please don't misread my sermon. But as Christians, we do need to learn to be content and do not give Satan a foothold on things. Only Jesus can fill that void in your heart. The third mistake that we make with our finances is sometimes we just simply forget that it's not our money. It belongs to God. Psalms 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. The early church in the first century of the book of Acts understood this extremely well. They understood that God had blessed them with possessions and resources that they could use to edify the body of Christ that they could use to fill a need that was needed within the body of Christ. And Luke records in Acts that on many occasions, the early church, and I will tell you, it still happens to this day in the church, that people would say, I'm going to sell this piece of land to make sure that person has food on their table, to make sure that person has Bibles, to make sure that person has access to Jesus. And they would do that. That is the power of the Holy Spirit working in people. I believe that if we are not careful, we sometimes make the mistake of giving money too much authority in our life. 
Let me try to explain that. Have you ever, have you ever found yourself doing what money tells you to do? Like you get a bill in the mail and, oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm fearful now. I'm scared. I don't know what to do. I'm all alone. I don't have the money to cover it. You start doing what money tells you to do. And that's not what God wants. God is bigger than that debt. God is bigger than that health bill that you just got or that credit card bill or whatever it is. He's bigger than all of that. But I get it. I understand. I read a quote from a prominent preacher recently. It really got me thinking differently about money. It's what happens when you prepare sermons. You actually learn stuff. He said, a Christian's personal monthly budget and spending plan should have eternity written all over it. The way you use God's money should have eternal significance to it. It's a powerful statement. I can't tell you that I've honestly always led up to that. That's a tough one. Right off the top of your written budget should be your giving before everything else. It should be your giving. Everything else hinges on that. As a Christian, we need to tell money what to do in the service of God's kingdom. And I believe that when we do this, we will gain joy, we will gain cheer, our supplies will be met, our needs will be met, and God will begin to fix our financial struggles. The third and final reason that Christians are no longer giving is it's a lordship issue. So the first was a faith issue. We talked about Cain and Abel. The second was financial issues. And now it's a lordship issue. Where is God in your life? Is he your true north? Matthew 19, 16 through 22 is the story you've all read countless times about the, the rich ruler, the wealthy person, the, the wealthy man. And it says, And someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. <clears throat> then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not commit murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, All of these things I have kept. Sort of arrogant, isn't he? Because I don't think he kept any of them. I'm just going to be, because no one can. No one can keep those. And Jesus knew that. And Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, Go and sell all your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when the young man heard this, he went away grieving for he was the one who owned much property. You see what happened? This stuff that he had accumulated was his God. He thought he wanted to follow Jesus but ultimately, he really did not want to follow Jesus. 
He wanted to follow this stuff. When we read this story, we have to understand, Jesus is not saying that the way to heaven is to sell everything you own. It would be very cold. We wouldn't have clothing anymore. He's not saying that. He's saying, though, that if you have something in your life that's coming before God, you need to get rid of it. You need to cut it out. Jesus once said, gouge your eye out if it's causing you to sin. And some people said, do you really think Jesus meant gouge your eye out? And I said, yes. Going, going to heaven without seeing anything is a lot better than not getting into heaven at all. And I believe it to be true. Jesus said it best when he said, you cannot serve two masters. You will either hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. I want you to compare this man to this other person that Jesus met. And she was a widow. And she was, I, from what I take, living in poverty. Luke 21, 1 through 4. And he looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them, for they all out of their surplus put into the offering. But she out of her poverty put in all that she had to live on. You see, that was it. That's all the money she had. What percentage of the giving was that? It was 100% tithe. Though that's not even a tithe, it's 100%. 100% gift offering. The widow made it clear that God was first in her life and that she was totally going to be dependent upon Him. You know, we don't read anything else about the widow in Scripture. We don't, I wish I knew more. One day we will when we go to heaven. But I have a hunch that because of her faith and her obedience and her giving, I believe because of all that, that God took care of her, that he supplied her needs. I really believe that. And not only that, but I believe this woman had amazing peace and joy in her life. Beyond measure. You know, it doesn't tell you those qualities about her, but Scripture does. If you look to Malachi 3.10... God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house and test me on this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. That's how I know this widow had a wonderful, amazing, joyful, needs met life. There's no doubt in my mind, God does not forget his people. I know that we covered a lot this morning. We talked about three barriers that can get in the way of our giving. Three, three things that all of us struggle with from time to time. But I also know that no matter where you're at in life, no matter what financial situation you're in, maybe you have a faith issue, Maybe you have a lordship issue. Maybe you have a financial issue. It all starts at the foot of the cross. If you want God to start to bring healing, you've got to bring it to him at the foot of the cross. Jesus is the only one, not even Dave Ramsey, 
can fix everything, but Jesus can. I want you to know that God wants you to live an abundant life. The Bible tells us that. He wants you to have abundant life. He wants you to enjoy your life, but he also wants you to put him first. So this morning, as I close up, as the worship team comes, if you need help with some of these struggles, if you need help, if there's a faith issue, if there's something you just don't get about Jesus, you don't understand about Scripture, maybe it's a lordship issue, maybe there's something in your life that you've just put too much investment into and it's starting to block your vision of what God wants for your life. Maybe you just need help writing a budget. Hey, I've never done that before. I need help doing this. This seems complicated. Maybe you just need a better understanding of God's word. Or maybe, and this is my sales pitch, you need to take Dave Ramsey on Wednesday night at 6.30 to 8. We are teaching that here at the church. And it is a life changer. Whatever the reason, we have people here who love you, who care for you. I know these guys in the front row do, and I know our elders do, and I know we want you to be fully blessed. If you, if you need prayer this morning, if you need to speak privately with someone, don't hesitate to do it.